another Godcast from Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. I'm Candace Shalou Hodge, the founder and editor of Whosoever. Thanks for joining us. Jay Baker is the son of famous television evangelists Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. He grew up on the PTL, or Praise the Lord Club, and suffered terribly when his parents' empire fell. Turning to drugs and partying eased the pain for a while, but now Jay is out with a new book that describes not so much his fall from grace, but his fall to grace. Jay explains his grace evolution to us. First, I invite you to check out whosoever.org if you haven't been by in a while. Our latest issue focuses on the theme of light, something we're missing not just in these dark days of winter, but often in our spiritual lives as well. Some of our best writers like Lori Hine, John Campbell, and Reverend Susie Shamness answered the eternal question, where is the light? Check it out at whosoever.org forward slash V15I4, or you can access it from the homepage at whosoever.org. saw Jay Baker when he spoke at a conference held by the Gay Christian Network in Washington, D.C. back in 2007. At that time, it was a big deal for Jay to be speaking before a crowd of gays and lesbians. In fact, it was downright scandalous. Baker took a lot of heat for coming out in full support of those in the LGBT community seeking acceptance in their religious communities. But Jay Baker is used to taking the heat. In his new book, Fall to Grace, Baker writes about his struggles as a kid growing up on the Christian playground known as Heritage USA. The Baker empire fell in the late 1980s after his mother accidentally overdosed and news broke about his dad's affair with Jessica Hahn. Later, his dad would spend five years in prison on a fraud conviction. In his teen years, Baker turned to drinking and partying to fit in and to assuage his own pain over the sufferings of his parents. Feeling condemned for his behavior drove him further away from the church. He writes, if a lousy Bartles and James wine cooler was all it took to separate me from God, then I was going to accept my one-way ticket to hell. Reserve me a seat in the bar car. It was through the patience and love of his friend D.E. Polk in Atlanta, whose ministry family suffered its own scandals, that Baker experienced what he called a grace evolution. Baker continued to party and drink, and D.E. would continue to love him through it, gently pushing Baker to return to God by telling him all about grace. Baker writes that he believed grace to be a cop-out, an excuse to sin. Once he began reading Paul's letters to the Galatians, Ephesians, and Romans, though, Baker became hooked on grace, a grace fiend even, he writes. Now he finds himself advocating for the demanding work of grace to extend grace to outcasts like LGBT people, but also to the virulent critics who have attacked him for his graceful ways. I had a chance to talk with Baker about his new book and how a grace evolution can be a source of change and renewal for the evangelical church. As we began our interview, I asked him what it was like to grow up with famous parents? Well, it's all I knew, you know. So for the first few years of my life, it was crazy, but doing, you know, having to dress up and be on TV and stuff like that. But I think it's the same thing as, you know, your parents making you do, you know, whatever, eat your vegetables or things like that. So (laughs) there were some really great experiences. um, And, uh, you know, when they lost everything, though, it was really tough, you know, because my whole world went upside down. I mean, the school I went to was at, PTL, the you know, all my friends were there. That's where I hung out every day, and so it was like when that was <clears throat> when everything happened. It was like you know, not just Dad losing his job. It was like everything changed. You know, my my friends, my house, 
you know, everything. So, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I've of course seen things on TV every day and every night <laughs> hmm. it was really tough. And you're just a kid going through your, your parents losing everything, your father eventually going to jail. You know, yeah. how did you survive through that? The first year was spending a lot of time by myself. Um, I think when I was around 12 and 13, I started drinking and doing stuff like that. But, you know, that was just also just to fit in because I was really nervous around people. So, you know, I just kind of jumped into friendships and jumped into, like, hanging out with, uh, you know, the party kids at, at school. And, you know, at the same time, though, those kids are ones that really showed me a lot of love and mm-hmm acceptance so you know and there's some of them are still my friends to this day so yeah it's kind of handled I just jumped into my own world and you write about a friend of yours in Atlanta who you stayed with who just sort of loved you through it yeah that was my friend D.E. you know he was a, a youth pastor and a pastor now he pastors the church he just you know he was always there and you know one day I said you know, started talking to him, and I said, you know, you talk about this thing called grace, and, you know, I honestly, I, don't, I think God hates me, I don't believe it, and he told me I was full of shit, and I said, <laughs> you know, I said, well, well, I said, I think you are, um, and that went on for a while, and then he finally, I said, prove it, you know, prove it to me that this is true, you know, because everything he said just sounded too good to be true, mm-hmm. and uh, so I started uh, reading the book of Galatians, and then I read Romans, and you know, he was telling me what to read, and because uh, I'd really never really read the Bible for myself growing up, you know, mm-hmm. I was always hearing stories from other people. I started reading these books and hearing about grace and love and forgiveness, and there's nothing that you can do to be accepted, but just you are accepted. And mm-hmm. it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm accepted. Even even the unacceptable parts of me are accepted. And it was like, yes, and it was strange because my whole life I really struggled with my drinking on and off and trying to quit. And it was like all of a sudden it was like I wanted to get sober. I went into a 12-step program because it was like I was free to mm-hmm. be loved even if I wasn't sober. Or I was free to be loved even if I wasn't having my life together. I mean, heck, I mean I'm 35 and my life still isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. But the fact is of being able to accept that pure acceptance from something that I always felt was against me or hated me. It was, you know, it was definitely a revolution in my life. Well, and you say that you experienced a graced evolution. So what is that? Well, it's just this continuous evolving faith, realizing that God's bigger than the labels and the names and the things that we continue to put on God. You know, it's just this, these limits that as humans we feel that we need for God just seem to get bigger and bigger. And I, and, I, and the cool thing is, is the more I get that, I get that from reading the Word and, and spending time in the Bible and, you know, of course, living life and, mm-hmm. and understanding the historic reasons behind the Bible and things like that. So, you know, I find that my faith is continuously evolving or continuously changing. Um, you know, growing up, I, hope, I was told when you study the Bible, you know, everything's going to be clear and black and white and fat. And I found about the opposite to be true. Uh-huh. Because it's wild because you take the book for face value one way, mm-hmm. and then you realize there's, when you when you go even deeper, it's even better news. Yeah. Oh, expound on that a little bit. How does the news get better for you? Well, you know, you start to study the traditions of maybe, like, like let's say, um, the Romans, you know, 
and you see this type of folks that he's, that Paul's talking to, and you see the customs and the things that he's confronting, and, you know, it's just like you start to realize, like, oh, this is completely different, you know? I mean, this, you know, this this how this lines up with this book mm-hmm. or to who he was writing to, you're like, oh, okay, so women can preach. He was talking to a particular group in this area or this or that, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not a literalist, but even if, if I if I did take it literally after hard studying, it would still be very good news, you know. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like the scriptures on hell seem so scary, but then when you you know translate the word hell, you start to realize that it's not the same word everywhere they use it, and you know, and, and it's not as I don't know. I mean, it's just these different things that you find out, and you're like. Why was I never told this? And why isn't the translation better? I mean, the fact that the word homosexual never appeared in the Bible until, I think it was 1958. Yeah. You know, and the fact that they had no concept of what LGBT people, you know, are today, (laughs) you know, when it was all about worshiping their gods and different things like that. You know, sometimes I get so, you know, exhausted from just feeling like I continuously have to explain to people, like, it says it right here in the Bible, and I have to be like... It doesn't, you know, that word wasn't there, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can get, um, Bible translations, people who, you know, uh, in these companies to take those words out and and start to make a change. Well, a writer, Kathleen Falsani, who interviewed you recently said that your book heralds a great gay awakening for the evangelicals. Do you think that that might be true? I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say it would be my book in particular. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I might be, a, I'm a part of a movement. You know, I mean, you know, you got to look at people like Mel White who've been doing this for years, and and uh, Peggy Campolo and, and these folks who I'm, you know, I'm hoping that that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see more acceptance happening, and I do see more inclusion happening. You know, my goal is pure acceptance, you know, not just tolerance. Right. So, uh, I mean, tolerance is 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 nice, but, you know, I'd like to see, see people are past that point. Um, so I, I think we're on the verge of that. Um, people are having conversations. I've noticed, like, when I hear, you know, I had somebody that asked me to listen to this sermon, and it was, um, you know, it was about basically being gay is a sin, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was from someone who was, like, more progressive on the thing, and it was, like, a, a 30-minute apology, and then, like, a 10-minute why it's wrong to be gay, <laughs> you know, so I'm starting to see these <laughs> preachers and pastors apologizing for the fact about what they're about to say, so it's almost like instinctively, you know, they know they're, they're, they're wrong, there's something wrong. I have read a lot of criticism of you. Especially from evangelicals like Ken Silva and folks like that over on the far right side. How do you respond to that sort of criticism, or do you? I, I used to worry about that when I first got on Twitter and eBay, but, you know, I I don't put in, uh, any credit to those guys. You know, they're just they're extremists and obsessed, and, you know, no one no one fits in in their book, and you know, all I think we can do is pray for those guys, and and uh, you know, I mean, with Ken Silva, you can't even get in touch with him or meet with him, or he won't, you know. So you know, it's just I find it best to just ignore those folks, and uh, because I, they've got it set up. So you know, I mean, if you click on something that Ken Silva's written, 
yeah. he's got it. So it puts him up in the Google search and all these things. And he's just, you know, he's very smart on how he runs his, his website. You know, I mean, he's got like three or four different ones and different names, but you know, to me, it's, it's just really hateful stuff. And, uh, I don't think it's really, you know, worthy of even listening to, I mean, it just, doesn't make sense to me. So I just try to ignore that and mm-hmm. go on. You know, if I, if someone I respect or someone I, you know, really know wants to come and say something about me, yeah, I'll sit down and listen, you know, but yeah. I mean, to have people talk about you who don't even show their face or, you know, you've never even met before or even have any type of relationship and they just want to, you know, write about how horrible you are constantly. It's like, well, <laughs> I guess you're going to do what you're going to do, and I can't stop you, and I'm definitely not going to fight you because I, I just find it to be a complete waste of time. One of the things I, I really liked about your book was when you talk about your your own divorce and your own fear of coming to church and, and being open about it, that you, you wrote that gave me the permission to be broken and still loved, and I thought that was, yeah. that was amazing. And you relate that to, to Ted Haggard. What happened to him, and sort of imagine how his life would have been different if his church had given him the same kind of grace. Yeah. So how do we model that um, so others can can do it? You know, we love our our enemies. You know, I mean that's the beautiful thing to me about the Bible is it asks us to do things that don't always make sense. But you know. But are, are beautiful and love enemies, you know, like Martin Luther King or Gandhi. I mean, that's <laughs> to me is beautiful, um, and restoring them. And and I just, I, you know, I think what we've got to do is we've got to demand grace, we've got to demand love, we've got to demand restoration. You know, we've got to be speaking up loudly if we're even one or two people in the congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to not allow our own hurt. You know, we got to learn not to speak out of our own hurt and our own pain. I mean, there's times that that's great, but when someone else's life is a, a devastating thing, you know, I think it's the time, like, let's go into restoration mode and, and love this person and, and, and give ourselves some time to deal with it later. Because I think if we don't restore and do things right away, it's just, it's too late. You know, I mean, it's amazing what can happen within, you know, just a few hours. Yeah. You know, as someone's life has completely changed and over. You know, I'm surprised he's Ted Haggard's bounced back like he has. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, but um, and he had to do it on his own and, and through himself. It's just I think if we show grace and we we give grace, we're going to be teaching grace as well. You know, if we accept the unacceptable, we're going to help people accept that part of their lives or what they feel is unacceptable, so they can take a look at it rather than hide it and keep it a secret or feel shame. You know, that's what I had to do in my own life. You know, there's, you know, just accept myself completely and realize that God accepted me completely so I could look at some of these things and realize that some of it was just, you know, man's religion making me feel guilty, you know. And then there was other things that were, you know, like alcohol that was leading me down a a road of driving drunk or putting myself at risk. I'm amazed that of grace going the other way because I see Haggard being very forgiving toward the people who kicked him out. Well, and that's usually what happens. I mean, I saw that with my family as well. When you, when that happens to you and you get 
ostracized and kicked out, you know, you feel so much pain that you just, I think you realize, you know, you have a different view of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'd have to say, I don't know if I would be the same person I was. I probably wouldn't if all this stuff I hadn't gone through with my family and even in my personal life to continue to open up my arms of, you know, or open up my heart of brokenness and love and things like that and realizing, you know, every day that life is way more complicated than we make it out to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think when we when we go through something like that, we learn a lesson of we don't want other people to feel that way. And that's, that's a true example of love. Mm-hmm. You know, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. That's loving your enemy. I mean, that's, you know, what what following Christ is about, you know, not just being a Christian, but actually following Jesus. Yeah. Well, and so how do you think we can do that work of restoration, especially with folks who maybe like Ken Silva, who don't even want us to reach out to them? They just want to criticize and that's it. You know, it's going to have to be through prayer and, and relationships. I mean, I'm, I honestly don't know. Like, I wish I had the, the complete answer yeah. for that, except for continuously living an example of grace and hoping that they'll see the peace and the joy that we have and they'll want what we have. And it depends. It's like, are they just trying to make a living? Is it this just a job? You know, are they mm-hmm. just shock jocks? Or is this something that they truly believe? You know, I, I don't know. But I think what we have to do is, is try to give grace. And for me, with Ken Silva is... I realized I wasn't giving him grace when I was sitting there arguing with him and defending myself and defending all these things. You know, I mean, in some ways, I was trying to expose the truth to him, but I found it to be a little bit more graceful if I just stayed away and, you know, didn't continuously, because I would get angry, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I was mature enough or am <laughs> uh, enough to handle, handle the, uh, the exchange at this point. So sometimes walking away is graceful. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then sometimes telling people how you feel is graceful. I think you have to go situation by situation, you know. I I love the story about your mom where you you realized a friend of yours was gay uh, when you were younger. And your mother was like, yeah, and so what's the problem? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that that really surprised me coming from, you know, I mean, we we all have our misconceptions, I guess, about how your your family felt about these these issues. Yeah, I mean, that was just probably like an 89 as well or 90. And and it was one of those things where I was like so devastated. And your mom goes, so what? You know, (laughs) you're like, wait a second. (laughs) I'm devastated. You shouldn't be saying, so what? Uh Uh-huh. Um, but it just kind of hit me, you know, when you were real, and then looking at it, I was like, Hey, you know, I think I was more worried about what other people would think or something like that. And, you know, my mom is just one of those people who, you know, she could have taken off her makeup. She could have dressed down. She could have done that. And a lot of people would have preferred that, but she never, she just lived and was who she was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and she really taught me how to do that, you know, and. I'm so proud of that. And she didn't do it like, oh, I'm going to do this no matter how much it hurts people. She always loved people and cared about people. Mm-hmm. At the same time, she had a sense of who she was. And she just, you know, that's something that was really beautiful to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it taught me a great lesson. So why do you think Tammy Faye was so popular among the gay and lesbian folks? Well, you know, I mean, I used to think it was just her makeup and her kitchen, which I'm sure is a big part of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's also because she's a survivor, you know. I mean, I've had one of my, my buddies tell me, you know, I said, why is this gay guy? I said, why is it that, you know, you guys love my mom so much, you know? And he's like, 
And he said, well, it's those things, but he's also, he's like, but your mom's a survivor and she's true to herself. And, you know, and, and she still has like this passion and compassion towards people. And there's something really beautiful about that. And I was like, wow, you know, so it's not just the joke, you know, because I always yeah. felt like, yeah, she's just a joke and, and uh, maybe she's in on it a little bit, but it seemed to be, you know, I mean, I have people walk up to me on the street, you know, um, folks from the LGBTQ community and say, you'll never know how much my mother, your mother meant to me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the change that she had in my life. And it's not like, oh, your mother was crazy. I mean, they might say <laughs> that too, uh-huh. but it's not just the one or the other, you know, I mean, it's, it's usually like, you know, I mean, I've had people who weren't, like, you know, weren't even out in the Christian setting and come up to me and find me in the corner and be like, I'm not out. Your mother has, 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 has given me the ability to survive so far. And I, I just want to say, I just love her and I miss her, you know? And so it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She had a big, she had a big impact on a lot of people. So what do you think people misunderstand the most about grace? I think people misunderstand most about grace is that they people think it's a license to sin or it's this wishy-washy, you know, do whatever you want, or it's just for salvation. I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions, or it's just unmerited favor, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, grace is a uh, grace to me is, is is such a gift that it covers everything. Mm-hmm. Grace, you know, is is something that's so powerful. I mean, self-acceptance, you know, accepting the unacceptable, you know, not having the need to feel like you even have to grow spiritually. Like when I know there's times where I doubt, times where I struggle with my own faith, and uh, grace has even given me the ability to do that without fear or, you know, and it allows me to grow. I mean, yeah, it's frustrating, but I have to remember I'm accepted by something greater than myself, even when that. You know, it's the God that shows up when there feels like there is no God, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I think people just look at grace as this small part of, of faith, and I look at grace as faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel grace, you know, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves and love our enemies and love God with all our heart. And grace is what gives me the ability to do those things, but it's also the thing that gives me the ability to actually accept those things when I know I'm, I, I'm not always acceptable or don't feel acceptable. I'm still accepted, and it's like it's a transformative power that I can't even really clarify that well. You know, what I mean, I've written a whole book about it. You know, what I mean, I can't even. That's the best I can put it into words, and it's. I still don't feel like it's it's clear enough. Yeah, yeah, it's it really is an experiential thing. <laughs> yeah. So one more question. I know you've got to go, but just give me a prediction. What do you see for the evangelical church in the future? Prediction, well, I think I think we're going to see it. The numbers continue to shrink, and people continue to probably leave the church. Um, but I think within the next probably ten or fifteen years, it's going to be a, uh, some things are going to change. I think we're going to see a lot more affirming churches, a lot more people asking questions, and uh, people's faith even developing in, in ways that we haven't seen before. So. You know, I think the evangelical churches, they keep digging their heels in on, you know, tradition rather than uh, love. I think they're they're going to have a hard time, but you never know. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow, you know. Mm-hmm. 
you never know who's going to, you know, come out. You never know who's going to come out as an ally. So I'm not really good at predicting things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm good at, you know, but I'm going to continue to do the work that I do. And I hope that I can encourage other allies to, you know, come out as allies or, you know, other people to, to be able to willing to take a stand and, because I, you know, it was other allies and other people who did that who encouraged me. You know, I mean, yep. Peggy Campolo was just, you know, after meeting her, it was like this has got to happen. Well, and what do you say to gay and lesbians who think that this grace thing is too good to be true and they still want to deny their true selves? Well, I tell them it's too good to be true, but unfortunately or fortunately it is true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're loved just the way you are. And, uh you know, people might turn on you and Christians might turn on you, but that's not Jesus and that's not grace. Mm-hmm. That's what I see as sin. Sin is the thing that cause hurt and cause pain. It's not, these aren't magic words, you know what I mean? These yeah. are, are, are practical words that work. And, you know, know you're accepted, you know, no matter what anybody says, you know, accept you're accepted because I think that's transformative. And, and I, I like the theologian Paul Tillich, you know, he said, you don't even have to become more religious. You don't even have to believe more. You don't even have to decide on what you're believing. Just at this point, accept that you are accepted and allow that to change you, allow that to transform you. And I found that to be true, you know. And a lot of people would say, oh, that sounds a little <laughs> iffy, you know, you've got to put this message in there and that. But I've just learned to trust God in these situations, and I've, I've seen the power of of grace. To learn more about Jay Baker, visit his Revolution Church website at revolutionnyc.com or his personal page at Jay Baker, that's J-A-Y-B-A-K-K-E-R.com. And we round out our Godcast with a little holy humor called The Meaning of the Fall. When the Methodist minister falls down the stairs, he picks himself up and says, that was an experience. How do I learn from it? When the Catholic priest falls down the stairs, he picks himself up and says, I must have done something really bad to deserve that. When the Presbyterian minister falls down the stairs, he picks himself up and says, that was inevitable. I'm glad it's over. When the Baptist minister falls down the stairs, he picks himself up and says, which one of my deacons pushed me? Thank you so much for joining us for another Whosoever Magazine Godcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can tell us your thoughts, comments, or suggestions by writing to us. Our email address is godcast at whosoever.org, or you can leave comments at our blog at whosoeverpods.blogspot.com. The theme music for our program has been graciously provided by Adam Curley. Other music included samples from Tamman and Swan and Heavy Mellow, all available from magnatune.com. If you'd like to join the Whosoever community, we have many online groups that you can join for fun and support. You can find Whosoeverance in your area when you join our Rainbow Fish groups. To find out more, go to whosoever.org slash rainbowfish. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider making a monetary donation to our ministry. It does take money to produce and broadcast this program and, of course, to keep our ministry on the web where we have been a valuable resource to our community for nearly 15 years. You can donate by credit card or by going to our website at whosoever.org slash donate, or you can send checks to Whosoever Ministries Incorporated, Post Office Box 727, Camden, South Carolina, 29021. Remember, Whosoever is a 501c3 nonprofit, which means all donations are tax deductible. Thanks for listening. May God bless and keep you until we meet again.